Tandem Nomads, episode 42. I think the, the best way to look at it is hopefully your your company is not trying to make deals for one person or the other. They're trying to have an independent and kind of equitable mobility program. The first thing, no matter what kind of assignment you're going on uh, and no matter what level of allowances your employer is offering, I think the most important thing to ask for or to know if you're receiving is tax preparation services. Welcome to Tandem Nomads, where inspiring expat partners from around the world share with you how they turn the challenges of relocation into great opportunities. So are you following your partner abroad for his or her career? Then Tandem Nomads is the place for you. Go to tandemnomads.com and sign up for the newsletter. Hello, Nomad Nation. Our guest today is Jeremy Pickley, and I'm very much looking forward to our chat today as he has some great insights to share with us as a male training spouse, but also as a professional who helps companies plan expat packages for their employees. So, Jeremy, are you ready for the ride? Mount up. Let's ride. Wonderful. <laughs> Jeremy Pickley comes from the U.S. and is now an expat partner living in Basel, Switzerland. He used to work for an international assignment services group of Price Waterhouse Coopers in Boston before he joined the company Air Inc. as a tax manager, providing tax data and consulting to multinational companies. When his wife was offered an opportunity to move to Switzerland for a one or two years assignment, Jeremy managed to negotiate with his employer to work from Basel, which came with the added benefit of servicing their European client base from the same time zone. So the Air Inc. company is specialized in providing housing, cost of living, hardship, tax, and other global mobility data and advisory services to multinational companies. Uh, Jeremy, uh, I would love to discuss and have your expertise here in Tandem Nomads. But before, I'm also very intrigued with your expat partner journey. Tell us briefly, what was your first reaction when your wife came to you with this opportunity to move to Switzerland? Yeah, I was I was ecstatic. I mean, at that point, I had been involved with global mobility for about eight years, but I'd never studied abroad or been an expat myself. So it really gave me an opportunity to apply my work life to moving us to a new country. Uh, at the same time, I was a little nervous about the potential impact of the move. Uh, I'd be working remotely. I have been working here remotely in Basel. Uh, it has its own set of challenges. But ultimately, I thought it would be well worth the opportunity to live in beautiful Switzerland and also support my wife career. Wonderful. Well, so what were the challenges you were mentioning right now? Uh, I think... Yeah, we so uh, Eric doesn't actually have an office in Switzerland. So uh, our office is basically the office I created in our apartment here in Basel. So mm-hmm. um, I had talked to a friend who had actually worked remotely before for a company. And there's a little bit of stir crazy sometimes from spending almost 90% of your time in a week in the same spot. So mm-hmm. there's a little bit of a mental challenge to or creating a new regimen to to make sure that you get out of the house and interact with people. Uh, at first, I was kind of excited because it made uh, give me the opportunity to start transitioning my pajamas into day wear. But, <laughs> then, I, but then I learned that um, you really have to treat it like you're going to the office. So taking some time to leave the, leave the house every once in a while. Um, showering is important if you want to feel good <laughs> and you want, your, you want your wife or husband to talk to you when they come home from work. So, um, so just get, getting away from uh, 
the the thought that just because I work from home, I I don't have to treat it uh, the same as going to the office every day. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> I do have showers, by the way. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> um, yeah. So, but I mean, how how difficult was it to convince your employer to let you go and work remotely? That's a great question. Um, so luckily, my company is very experienced. They've been doing nothing but global mobility for over 60 years. So uh, they kind of understand the needs of, of moving employees. And uh, along with that, it means moving the family. So um, the great thing is that the majority of my day-to-day work can be done as long as I have an internet connection. So I can talk with our American offices and our European offices, which makes it very easy, um, and they're just, they were just supremely uh, supportive of, of making sure that um, I could still help out the company and also having the added benefit of um, our tax team was primarily located in the U.S., so now we're kind of spread out a little bit more over our European clients, so um, they've been incredibly generous, and I've been thankful for that um, because uh, without that, I don't know that if we would have been able to, to make the move, so wow. I'm very, very thankful. That's great, yeah. Um, I discovered you through a great blog post that you wrote on Air Inc. blog page. And I will share the link of this blog post, if it's okay with you, on this episode page. Of course. Mm-hmm. And among all the information you shared about your experience, one thing really attracted my attention uh, is when you mentioned that the American Women's Club in Basel rejected your application and that you were planning on creating the American Spence Club because of that. <laughs> so... Um, you're not the first male expat partner that are here had issues integrating, getting accepted, not integrating, but being accepted within female expat groups. Why do you think this is such an issue to some women's group to integrate men among them? Uh, so personally, from my perspective, I don't think it's that big of an issue. Um, in my blog post, I mentioned it more to show the hopefully shifting paradigm of trailing spouses. So uh, more and more men are the the trailing spouses, where I think maybe um, 10, 20, 30 years ago, it was traditionally considered um, a non-working wife going along, maybe bringing in, probably bringing the family if they have one. And we're in year 2016 and family dynamics are changing. So, um, so that's not always the case anymore. So the, the, what I wrote in my blog post was kind of a little bit cheeky. Um, but when I inquired, it wasn't a formal application. I just called and I, I was wondering, Hey, have you in the past or do you right now have any men in the group? And they were supremely polite. They just said they don't accept men formally, but a large number of number of their gatherings and events, which they do charity, they do book clubs, they do a lot of great things um, are for friends and family of the group. So it's not just for women. Mm -hmm. Um, At the time, I was more curious than seriously wanted to join because um, the last thing I wanted to be was an interloper or one of those crazy men's rights activists that (laughs) forced their way into women's clubs on dubious or fallacious grounds of discrimination, which wasn't the case at all. Um, And particularly in Switzerland, where so many of the careers are, are in the field of science, technology, engineering, mathematics, uh, STEM, where women are severely under underrepresented, and and also due to the fact that the last canton in Switzerland didn't grant women's voting rights until 1991. Yeah. So I didn't want to I didn't want to be someone who made anyone feel uncomfortable. Um, 
at the same time, I think we probably have a few common interests, but I wouldn't be able to bring a lot to the table for the professional women that are working in Switzerland or raising a family. Yeah. Um, and, and I didn't want to kind of ruin any of the dynamic that they've that they've built up over the years. So um, I, I didn't I, as lo- that joke was in the blog post, but it was it was more of a quip than than a serious gripe. Okay, with, with I, anything. See. I see. <laughs> it's good that you bring it up then. Yeah. So did you end up creating the men's club? I didn't end up going through with it. Um, I'm, I'm pretty busy with work and, and traveling. We pretty much travel every week. And, and since we're actually planning on returning to the U.S. sometime this year, I, I didn't really think I could put the time and effort into yeah. making it a worthwhile That's endeavor. It. Plus, anytime you have a, something called a men's group, it sounds simultaneously nefarious <laughs> and vulgar. So I didn't want that kind of stigma either. <laughs> but I've been able to, to, to meet a lot of great people, not just Americans around Switzerland. So I think it was more about my initial... I was here for the first two weeks. I was spending almost all my time in the apartment. I didn't really know anyone. My wife was meeting all of her new coworkers. So it was more kind of just a, 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 something to try to meet new people at the at the time. And yeah. it was just kind of an interesting story that, yeah. that I tell every once in a while. It's, it is. It's fun. Um, <laughs> actually, you you did say something very important that blog post, the importance, I mean, many other points, but <laughs> but one of them is how important it is to try to meet with people and, and you know, find groups and I guess this is why you you approached the the women's club American American woman women's club is because you were looking for opportunities to meet with people in order to get out of the house and start interacting with Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I've been, there's been other forums. Um, I think, you know, the internet obviously makes it very easy to socialize with people. So I've been able to find some people to play some basketball with. Um, my neighbors actually let me dog sit their their dog during the day and take him for walks. So um, after those initial two weeks where uh, I didn't know anyone, I've, I've been able to build up a, a group of people and, and dogs that I could that I see and also um, and also meet with my, my, my wife's coworkers too. So uh, after that initial shock of being here and not knowing anyone and being a little worried um it really hasn't been an issue since wonderful that's great so let's now move to your expertise in consulting companies who send expats abroad so according to your recommendations what does a company need to consider or provide to an expat employee in order to facilitate successful assignment Yeah, a, a great question. I think um, I think the first thing, the most important thing to begin with is communication. So just having an open dialogue about either the assignment or the permanent move to a new country is immensely important. So the most headaches that I've heard from the expat community occur where there are unforeseen or unexpected consequences. So to begin with, just having a detailed assignment or transfer letter that describes the terms and conditions, as well as what type of allowances or benefits the employees entitled to is the best way to get both the employee and the employer uh, to understand and agree upon the assignment and to make it a successful one. Mm-hmm. And built into that agreement, hopefully the employer has considered the wide range of items that an expat needs to Uh, encounter or need. So immigration and visa assistance, tax assistance, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a little bit, mm-hmm. housing, cost of living, home leave. So so really just having something on paper that both the employee and employee review together um, shows that both parties are understanding what the assignment will entail and that um, 
that the I know a lot of times employees are especially when they go to a location that's uh, that they're really excited to go to they'll just say all right send me let's go and then sometimes the details kind of fall through afterwards and that can be a little bit dangerous because then you have to negotiate after you're already in a new location about what you should or shouldn't be receiving and maybe there's other issues that the employer hadn't considered so just making sure everything on paper is kind of the baseline and then you can build from that what kind of uh, what kind of allowances or benefits that the employee would expect it to be received. Yeah, so it's so let's try. That's a very important point that you're making. It's, I loved when you said that a lot of expats sometimes just decide to, you know, it's so exciting to have this opportunity that we just say yes without thinking about it. And I guess, is it, should we ask our employer to first submit us w w with this uh, agreement before saying yes? Or I should so, we yeah. say yes and then discuss the agreement? Yeah, I would think the agreement comes first before agreeing to anything. Um, it's usually something that's um, it's it's some sort of legal document that can be held. I mean, not that expats go to court all, all that often against their employer, but it's something in writing to just kind of make sure that all parties are involved to understand. Um, and especially uh, when you're moving to a new country, there may be things that you just didn't consider. Like, may, do I if I'm going there for, you know, an assignment can last anywhere from, you know, three months, maybe you consider it a short term business um, trip or you can go for years and years and years. So really having the terms laid out um, to understand what the potential impacts are. And, and you really don't want to get into an argument after things have already occurred about, hey, I didn't know that I was going to have to pay tax in this country because I was only going to be here for six months is what I thought was going to happen. And now who's going to pay this? And mm -hmm. and then it can drag on for a lot of time. And I've heard horror stories of people that um, couldn't leave the country because they didn't know that they were supposed to be remitting taxes. So oh, wow. uh, this yeah, is huge. Yeah, that's I mean, that's someone calling from the airport to their to their HR and it might be, you know, two in the morning at their headquarters location because they didn't know that either the employer or the employee was supposed to be remitting taxes on their behalf. So having everything laid out, it, it not only does it make both parties agree, but it really allows for planning. And, um, you know, at that point, I uh, most companies will involve their legal team, their tax department, maybe an outside consultant, like a tax pre preparation firm. So really, once you have all the professionals looking at it, you're, you know that you're in good hands and that you'll hopefully have a successful assignment. Okay, thank you for bringing that. A very important point. So always make sure that we know all what it takes to become an expert in, a, in another country. So what does it take, actually? What are the things we should look at carefully in an agreement when we accept a job opportunity abroad? Yeah, I think um, most expats will tell you that housing is kind of the, mo the most uh, primary concern for moving to a new country. It's, um, it's usually costly. It significantly affects family satisfaction. And presumably, it is where the employee and the family will be spending the majority of the time. Um, mm -hmm. So someone will go over and they'll say, hey, I need a house or apartment that's big enough for my family. I want to be near the city center. I want to have access to public transportation. So housing often marks the beginning of an assignment. And so the employee and the family goes on a house hunting trip. They sign the lease and it really becomes official. And at that point, uh, I think, you know, it's kind of a singular focus or point of negotiation for a lot of employees. And, um, you know, the traditional expat assignment would be, um, and this isn't necessarily true for all expats, but traditionally the employer would say, hey, we're going to pay for your housing in the host country and we'll deduct from that amount what we think you would have paid on a home basis. 
and that might change whether or not you still maintain a, a home in the home country. So there's a lot of considerations to be made, but housing is usually the thing that's most visible. You know, you're going home to it, you're living in it, you're sleeping in it, your family's in it. And I think that's probably where most ex- expats um, consider to be the most important part of, of an assignment package, understanding where I'm going to live, who's going to pay for it, what are my obligations to either pay or contribute to this cost. Mm-hmm. That's very So um, what about... So you were mentioning housing. Let's let's dig a bit in the housing now. Um, I know that what you do in Air Inc. is that you provide the information to the companies in order to make the right decisions in terms of allowance and equivalence of what um, an employee is fairly um, entitled to in terms of housing, right, in the foreign countries. Because we never know, you know, the difference of rents and, and, and sizes. I mean, a, 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 an average apartment in New York is definitely not the same as in Ouagadougou, for instance. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah. I guess for companies, it must be confusing. I'm taking extreme examples, but um, but there are examples where it's not so obvious. So what you're doing, if I understand well, is giving the information to the companies to be able to evaluate what are the employees entitled to in terms of housing, right? Exactly, yes. So um, so expats, when they go into a new country, they're often entering into housing markets that aren't as efficient as the local people. You know, they have people, you have people at the local office who might have been living in that city for 10, 15, 20 years. So they, they know the market, they can, they might have found a time when it's Uh, preferable to buy a place or rent a place where where they want to live, they might move to the suburbs. But expats are typically moving into a more expensive market. Um, so, like you said, it, it can be it's usually quite expensive to to move someone from one location to another, and you really need to understand the differences in in the market. So, when an, when you're sending an employee there, and you know you're going to be paid from a company's perspective, you know you're going to be paying for the housing in that location. You want to come up with a budget for the employee. If you say that your budget is unlimited, they're going to pick the most expensive place in the city. They're going to be right downtown. But you want to come up with something that's basically comparable to what they would be would have been living in in their home country. So if they lived in a, a, a four-bedroom house in the suburbs um, in their home country, well, maybe they can live downtown if they want an apartment, but it's going to be a little bit smaller, but at least it'll accommodate their family. So what we look at is um, the expat market when, you're, when they enter it. Um, and it's really designed to uh, try to make them feel comfortable, but it's not always going to be the same, right? You can't move from the suburbs in uh, Texas to downtown Singapore and have a six-bedroom gigantic house because they don't exist in Singapore. Mm-hmm. So there's going to have to be some some give and take with that. Um, but what we do is we We have uh, survey teams that go into these housing markets and find out the budgets, and we uh, actually prepare uh, location profiles. So it's going to be different whether you live in Manhattan or maybe in the suburbs of Connecticut or even further outside upstate New York. So we can provide these overviews of the housing market. And so when an employee says, hey, I can't afford to live in Manhattan based on this budget, well, they'll, they'll say, well, you could afford to live a little bit farther out. It's really, if you want to live in Manhattan, then you have to have a smaller place. So it really mm-hmm. gives the company a, a tool to say, to understand what the housing market is so that they're not, um, mm-hmm. they're not just looking on, you know, random websites to find out what, what's available for maybe one apartment. It's really getting an understanding of the overall housing market. Okay. What about the employee? What, because you're also an employee. And uh, <laughs> what, <laughs> What? How do you think they can know if they're fairly compensated in terms of how do you think employees can find that information? 
Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one. Um, obviously, we we deal primarily with the companies, which you know, we're not we're not providing data which we think is only beneficial to the company. It's really independent, which is which is a nice source to have. We're, we don't have a preference whether you know we're not trying to make it so the employer can only make it beneficial mm-hmm. for them. We're, mm-hmm. we're tr- creating a housing market that is independent or, or showing what the housing market is on an independent basis. From an employee perspective, uh, I think you know you, you have the internet, which isn't always the best. You, you don't know exactly what you're getting, but um, also talking to, to locals. So hopefully you've talked to people in your local office to understand, you know, what are the kind of neighborhoods that it's preferential to live in, where where is maybe a place where you want to avoid, uh, and what's a typical rent. So it, I, from an employee negotiation standpoint, it can be very difficult. And that's why a lot of companies outsource this information because they don't want to get into a singular negotiation with every single expat about mm-hmm. what, because that can create unfair unfair uh, housing budgets as well. Maybe you have someone who's really good at, at negotiating and they're going to present you know, this PowerPoint presentation about all the different housing that they found on the internet. And you might have someone that is just going to go along with the ride and they're just happy to go. So mm-hmm. it really eliminates that from an employee perspective when you have uh, an outside consultant like Erin, where you know we're not invested on one employee versus the other. We're happy to just create and show you what the housing market is. But that's definitely a concern I've, I've spoken with expats before is how do I know I'm getting the best deal? And um, I think the, the best way to look at it is hopefully your your company is not trying to make deals for one person or the other. They're trying to have an independent and kind of equitable mobility program. Oh, that's a good answer. <laughs> <laughs> your company should be proud of you. <laughs> okay. So you, we mentioned a lot about housing. Is there anything else we should look at really closely in our uh, expat package and agreement with our employee? Yeah, I think... um I think the first thing to ask or consider from an employee's perspective, kind of, again, getting on the employee's side of things is, does my company have a team dedicated to global mobility, which isn't always the case. Um, and if they do, am I talking with that team right now? Uh, a lot of times the human resources or even maybe the manager that wants to move the employee from one location to another, they might operate in silos. So they might just be treating it like, oh, you know, I'm going to send this person here for six months. They'll they'll charge me, they'll, they'll submit the receipt seats for their hotel and that'll be that. It'll just treat it like a bus- normal business trip that I'm sending them on for two weeks if they're doing it domestically. Um, and that's really, when you're moving internationally, that's really not how you want to operate. So um, if once once you know that you're going to be moving, um, you want to know uh, that you're dealing with the mobility team that your company hopefully has in place. Um, and that should provide, like I said, a little bit of a baseline level of comfort that your company has considered the variety of potential expa- expatriate issues. Um, and in terms of what an employee is looking for, it's important to understand what kind of package you're being offered. So are you put, being put on a home-based equalized package or a host or local package? Um, mm-hmm. And the difference between those is, is kind of important. Uh, the home-based equalized package, it's also called the, the balance sheet approach, is one where the employee uh, continues to be paid their home country salary and is designed to protect the purchasing power and home country benefits. So the company would typically pay for host country housing, consider uh, cost of living allowance uh, if applicable, and also pay all the host country income taxes on the employee's behalf, mm-hmm. as, as well as, as a, a variety of other allowances that may come into effect, such as children's education or relocation costs. Uh, 
so this is the most generous and also costly type of expatriate assignment. So let me try to rephrase this just a bit <laughs> to make sure I understand well. And then we do all. This is the home base. Uh, how did you call it? The balance sheet approach, right? Yes. Um, where basically we keep our salary from home. And on top of that is added by the company all the extras to compensate the level of life that we had home back home. Like, exactly. Like the, the schooling would be paid by the company, an extra allowance would be given for if the co- if the country's expenses are higher or something like that, right? Exactly, okay. right. Okay. So, so so part of that challenge is, you know, you're still being paid in your home country's uh, salary and currency, uh, and then you have to be obviously buying things on a day-to-day basis, your groceries, your gasoline, your your uh, whatever else you might be spending uh, at the grocery store or going to the movies, restaurants, um, you're going to be paying that in the local currency. So it's also subject to inflation and exchange rate vari- um, variance. So uh, that's that's also another thing that a company needs to consider. They can't just say, oh, well, you're on your home country uh salary and you know you'll just have to transfer your money over and that'll be that so it's another thing that um, my company also manages for companies to say hey you know the exchange rate is very volatile in this country you might need to consider changing uh, the allowances to make sure that the employee can still um, you know meet their day-to-day grocery and and social needs okay okay great and what was the second then approach Sure. The second approach is considered a host-based. So in that case, you're being paid a host salary. And within the host salary, obviously, you're no longer subject to exchange rates and built into that host salary structure in that company. Uh, presumably, you know, the employees that are being paid on that salary structure can afford to buy things at the grocery store. So it's it's a different type of program. And, and the employee in that case is then subject to um, host country taxes and um, they no longer it, it kind of severs the tie with the home country a little bit and the reason companies do this is that it's a little bit less costly to the company mm-hmm. from an employee perspective it can kind of so from let me back up a little bit from a home country the reason it's so successful for global mobility even though it's the most costly is it kind of treats everyone on even plane you're always going to be paying um, for the most part what you would have been paying on a home country basis for taxes, you're being held to your home country for cost of living. Um, so it really makes things equal. You don't have to worry too much about where, what location you're going to. On a host-based package, you're really subject um, to differences between countries. So you might be going from a very low tax country, for example, Singapore, to a high tax country like Denmark. And then all of a sudden you're you're going from paying 20% taxes to over 50% taxes. And you might not be aware of that. So that that's the situation where host, the host-based uh, policy can be a little bit more difficult to implement. Um, but the important thing for the employees to understand is what am I – What's my package? What am I being offered? And how is it different or the same from what I'm doing right now with my paycheck, how I'm spending my money? Mm-hmm. Very good points here. I'm going to try to back up a bit, especially regarding taxes, because that can have huge implications. Mm-hmm. Um, if if I, I What I understood so far, and I'll correct me please if I'm wrong, is that if we go with a home-based tax, um, home-based uh, type of contract, uh, we're paying our taxes home, right? Or are we ta- paying them in both countries? Or how does it work? If it's the first scenario? Great, great, great question. So from a home-based situation, um, I'm going to kind of leave the U.S. out of it right now because it's unique. But <laughs> from from uh, from uh, other third countries, it's uh, in most cases, if you're going on a long-term assignment, so three to five years, 
in most cases, you're able to then break your home country residency, meaning you don't have to pay taxes in your home country anymore, which is nice. But the company will still say, hey, you were used to, when you lived in your home country, you paid 30%, let's just say, in taxes. And that's what we're going to hold you to no matter where you're going. You might go to a, a country with very low taxes or you might go to a country with very high taxes, but you're still only paying what you're used to be paying, which is pretty equitable when you think about it. It's going to say, all right, well, I'm, not being, I'm no better or worse off from a tax perspective because as a result of accepting this assignment. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's very very popular and it makes it easy to move people from one country to another. Otherwise, you're going to have, if you say, well, you can just pay whatever the host country tax is, you're going to have difficulty moving employees to high tax locations. Everyone's going to want to go to low tax countries, mm-hmm. uh, assuming they're you know, pretty desirable places to go. So what happens if we go to a place that's uh, highly taxed compared to home? Yeah. So in that case, on a home-based package, the employer would pay all of the host country taxes on their behalf, which is why it's so costly. So mm-hmm. um, so they're going to the host country, uh, let's just say Denmark, for example, they're going to pay the, the host tax, the host Danish tax on your salary. And they're also going to have to pay tax on all the allowances they provide you. So if they're paying the housing on, on the behalf of the employee, they're going to have to pay tax on that. If they're providing a cost of living adjustment, if they're providing education, they're going to pay the tax on that. So it can get very costly very quick, but the employee is kind of peace of mind because they're not having to, to deal with the host host country taxes. Okay. And in the other case where it's host-based, then the employee is considered just as being a resident in that country and has to pay the taxes as it is in that country, right? Right. And on a host-based package, typically the employee would pay the host country tax on their salary, their base salary and bonus, kind of their normal their normal um, pay from the employer. And then any additional allowances. So if they did pay the housing, typically the, the company would pay that on their behalf. But uh, that's not always the case. If they're just on a local package, they're saying, hey, we're just going to treat you like a local. You're on your own for housing and cost of living. Uh, then they're just subject for, for the taxes um, on, on their salary in that case. So uh, like I said, it can be it can be difficult and also a surprise for a lot of expats when they're moving to a, ta- a tax jurisdiction that they are not familiar with and they've never had to deal with before. Okay. So how can we make sure that we know exactly which situation we are and um, you know, and what the implications are. Great question. Yeah, I, th- I think the first thing, no matter what kind of assignment you're going on, uh, and no matter what level of allowances your employer is offering, I think the most important thing to ask for or to know if you're receiving is tax preparation services. And I might be partial as a tax nerd since that's mm-hmm. what I deal with every day. But um, I mean, tax has the distinction of being the most complex and the mundane aspect of an assignment for most people. Um, so at a bare minimum, um, employees should be able to understand what they're obligated from tax and have the support from a tax services provider. That um, the employer should provide, right? <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Because, um, you know, paying or filing taxes in a new location is daunting, especially uh, on the years of transfer when the employee may be required to file tax returns in two different countries, which they've never had to do before. Mm-hmm. Um, and for that reason, most companies offer tax preparation services for the duration of an assignment. Uh, but it's very important for potential expats to know and confirm this point beforehand. Uh, before you sign anything or you're reviewing your assignment letter, 
what am I getting for tax preparation? Because uh, a lot of the other things just flow through, you know, the employees just maybe going to pay the housing on your behalf. The cost of living is just going to be put into your paycheck monthly or however often you're paid. But the taxes sometimes aren't thought of until, you know, you don't file your tax return until the year is actually over. So you might not even think about it. So you're already there for six, 12, 15 months. And at that point, it's too late. The taxes are already due. And what do mm-hmm. I owe? How do I do this? So it's really something that um, I think is often overlooked, but it's a really important point mm-hmm. to confirm because, mm-hmm. yeah, and you don't want to be the employee doesn't want to be responsible for filing their own taxes. You know, maybe they're very comfortable with filing their own taxes in their home country because they've been doing it for five, 10, 20 years. But filing a tax return in a brand new country in a different language potentially is kind of overwhelming and and they're probably not qualified to know how to do it. So mm-hmm. having having the employer provide a tax preparation services from either one of the big four accounting firms or another professional local uh, accounting firm, I think is is something that every employee should look for when they're moving to a new country. Yeah. If there's one point out of this conversation I would try to remember is this one, how important it is to research, you know, in which case we are and to demand from our employer to have this tax preparation system put in place, especially as there's even more things that I think we won't have the time to discuss today, but it's not as easy. I'm sure that there's a lot of aspects related to the country where we are too. For example, the type of visas, which taxes are applicable to those visas, etc. right? Exactly. Yeah. Mm. Um, So it's very complex. Expats are its own kind of niche area of tax that even if you find someone who's you know been a tax accountant in that host country for 20, 30 years, maybe they haven't dealt with a lot of expats because they've just been dealing with locals, which aren't treated the same. It, you know, it really makes a difference, like you said, which country you're coming from, how long you've been there, what visa you're on. So it's extremely important. And, and from a company standpoint, um, it's not that hard to negotiate for this, in, and it's a reason why most companies provide it, because it really, from a company's perspective, you want to have employees that are paying the right amount of tax. You don't want to have a kind of a bad corporate uh, reputation in the country of having employees that are going to going to into your country, you're sponsoring their visas, and they don't know what they're doing for taxes. Maybe they haven't been paying, and that really reflects poorly upon the company, which is why I think it's kind of standard for mm-hmm. most companies. Hey, we're sending you here, no matter what other allowances we're providing for you. We know that taxes are such, you know, an integral part of the assignment. We want you to have the correct professional support, especially since they're so complex. So, I mean, this is just a low cost for us to make sure that that you're uh, happy and successful in your assignment. Great. Thank you for bringing that up. Um, So, I would like now to talk a bit more of the expat partner situation uh, regarding expat packages. You know, I've, I've seen some stats mentioning that 65% of failing expat assignments are attributed to spouses or partners' dissatisfaction with the new location. I don't know if you ever heard the stats. Yeah, yeah, we we do a lot of surveys with our expats. Um, yeah, I think a, a relic of the last generation of expats is the the term "happy wife, happy life," which uh, you know it's obviously changing as the paradigm shifts. But that sentiment kind of holds true. If if the partner or family isn't happy, the assignment isn't going to be a success, right? Yeah. And and the goal of an assignment from the company side is really to have the employee work in the new country for a fixed period of time, learn or impart certain skills, complete projects and then return home after that's already complete, Uh, which is like why you said if you have a failed assignment, they have to leave before that occurs. It's really costly and it's it's really frustrating for both the employee
employee, the family, and and the company. So that's why companies should and often do dedicate resources to help the family with the transition. So we're talking about language lessons, cultural training, professional training, uh, work visa assistance, children's international schooling, home leave trips. So there's a lot of different things to try to make the family feel at home, uh, which are important to make sure that the um, that the that the ha- the family is happy uh, in in the new location. How is it? How important is it for these companies, so far from your experience, to take care and consider the expat partners' needs? Yeah, that's that's a great question. I think there's a little bit. It's a little bit of a delicate topic um, because companies are often limited or even apprehensive on asking anything about a spouse or child for privacy reasons. So mm-hmm. you don't really want. You're not going to have someone um, from your human resources or mobility program asking, "Hey, what does your wife or husband need?" Because it's not really it's not really a topic that is that is easily broached. Mm-hmm. So I think um, it has to an, come from the employee's side, I guess. You know? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's and I know a lot of expats, you know, while they're already paying for my housing, I, I, I feel I would feel bad asking for, for more help. But, you know, my wife, she completed her husband completed their 40 hours of language training and they want some more. Um, you know, maybe I'll just pay for it out of pocket. But it really doesn't hurt to ask. I mean, I, I don't want to sound like I'm uh trying to advocate too much for the employee to just ask for the moon but <laughs> since it's so important for for the family to feel comfortable uh and your if your partner or child has a specific need uh, maybe a tutor or work placement assistance I, i would say don't be bashful about asking because the employer understands um how important it is for the family to be to be uh kind of taken care of in order to make the assignment successful yeah. what kind of supports have you seen there particularly directed towards expert partners besides languages have you seen because languages is one of the first great support that there, there a lot of companies bring to expat partners like free uh, like 30 or 40 hours sometimes less or more uh, of, uh, of a language class but is there anything else that you've seen practiced among companies for expat partners <laughs> Yeah, I think a, a lot of times there'll be um, some work placement or training assistance. So if they want to maybe teach English uh, or, or maybe their local language in the in the country, they'll they'll sponsor them for or pay for for training to to get certified for that. Um, sponsor a visa if possible within the country. So um, I think those are kind of the most typical ones, you know. And also it, there might also be a community. Uh, so if there are dues for joining a particular um, social club or uh, or other sort of uh, group that will that will help them ingratiate themselves within the community, I think companies they're usually not very costly when you compare it to the costs of tax or housing. Mm-hmm. That companies will often say, "Hey, you know, that's that's not a problem. We we want your your partner to be to be happy, so we're happy to to help assist to to make that transition more smooth." Yeah, definitely. Well, I would add to that that it's great that companies and it's important that companies do consider the expert partners but we should definitely not only rely on that to make our life you know to make the best of our life abroad i think this message is very important to say we should really ask the questions that are important uh, we should not refrain from asking but we should also prepare on investing ourselves in our integration in the new country i believe Yeah, that's definitely true. I think there's there's definitely a, a personal responsibility to uh, to make sure that you're that you're uh, putting yourself out into the community. You can't rely only. Well, you know, you can't say just because uh, the company said no, they're not going to pay for my uh, my gym or yoga classes. I'm not going to do it anymore. You know, you would have paid it at home anyway if if it's something that really interests you. So go out there, be be willing to to 
to ingratiate yourself into the community and, and you'll just uh, have a, a lot more uh, success and happiness in, in the new location. Otherwise, if you're just relying on whatever the company is providing, um, you know, maybe they don't have the resources to pay for every single interest you have in that new location. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't mean that you have to just quit and, and go back home. I think it, there's still some personal responsibilities to make sure that you're you're putting yourself out there. Exactly. And listen to Dynamo Nomads. <laughs> of course. <laughs> okay. So before we say goodbye, I would love to know a bit more about your companies, uh, Scopus Services, and how they can be beneficial to multinational companies, but maybe also to employees. Sure. Yeah. Um, so Air Inc. has been in business for over 60 years, uh, specializing solely in global mobility. We have offices. Our headquarters is in Cambridge, Massachusetts, right down the street from Harvard. We also have offices in London, Brussels, Amsterdam, and Hong Kong. Uh, we have over 900 clients across all industries and geographies. Um, so as I mentioned, we provide data, uh, cost of living, housing, airfare, tax, etc., cetera, uh, advice and technology to multinational companies. Um, our company physically collects and analyzes our own data with in-house survey team and provides advisory services um, to companies based on our wealth of knowledge in expatriate programs. Um, to your question about employees, uh, we don't typically deal with individual expatriate employees, unfortunately, on an individual level. But I think it's helpful to understand how does my company track uh, cost of living, exchange rates, inflation, and housing? You know, ask that question to someone who's moving moving you. You know, you, hey, you offered me this. You know, how did you come up with this? Uh, if it's not explicit in, in the contract, I'm just curious. You came out, you gave me a housing budget of X. Did this come internally? Did you ask maybe someone in the local office? Or do you have a third party, an independent party that uh, that's that's collecting this data which I think is really important for an employee to understand uh, you know it's not just uh, the up to the employer or the employee to come up with this these these terms and conditions hopefully they have some assistance uh, especially if they're moving employees all across the globe yeah. So if an expatriate employee um, you know feels that an allowance or package that they're receiving um, doesn't cover their needs it might be worthwhile to ask the company how are you tracking this, updating it. Um, and if they want to say they heard Eric is a good solution, I certainly wouldn't complain. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is actually, I, I would really focus on that actually, because there's, you know, we a lot of multinationals, multinational companies today are, are quite well equipped, I find, you know, in terms of mobility teams and, and, and consulting. They use a lot of consulting and hopefully a lot of them use Eric. But, <laughs> <laughs> but there's also a huge new wave, you know, startups and smaller companies companies who are sending their employees abroad and who don't necessarily think of that. So it's very important, I think, as an employee to make sure that we assist our employer in finding that information, you know, by telling them, listen, have you heard of this or that company who could help us build the right package in your advantage and mine too? Yeah, I think that's 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 a, a great point because uh, I think there would be more of a, a yellow flag uh, coming up if you realize or you think that you might be one of the first expats, um, maybe not in the company, but going to a new location. Um, if you know expats within a company often talk to each other, so if you mm-hmm. haven't found anyone that's also been on an expat package, that might give you a little bit of reticence to say, hey. 
are is our company equipped to answer all of the important expatriate uh, questions and needs? Uh, and that's probably when you want to bring up maybe we need to consider an outside consultant or or just asking the questions you know about immigration, about taxes. How are you collecting this data? How did you come up with what you think is equitable to make this a sex, successful assignment? And like you said, startup companies or companies that haven't had a lot of expats, um, maybe they're not as equipped to deal with it. They don't really know. They can just say, hey, we'll just give you um, you know, X amount of dollars and it might be kind of pulled out of thin air instead of based on, on quality data. Yeah, and I would also be careful. One thing I've seen a lot is using like lawyers of tax advisors who are very local and not do not have these international experience. I've also seen cases where we use a, a, a lawyer or a tax advisor in our home country and a second one in the foreign country where we're going and, and it doesn't match up. So having a company that does have the expertise of mobility, I think we should really take advantage of that. Yeah, that's that's another great point. Um, I'm I'm also a little you bit. You should partial. pay me for what I'm doing here. <laughs> I might have your, some of your quotes on our website later today. Um, uh, I, I'm also a little bit partial because I worked for PricewaterhouseCoopers for about six and a half, um, and I can kind of speak to that. You know, when yeah. you have a company where you they have uh, a network of firms and they talk to each other. So you have um, when I worked in the Boston office, if I had a question about Belgian taxes, I would call the Belgian tax expert in within PwC and ask them a question. Where, like you said, if you have two disparate tax providers that don't know each other, they're not used to dealing with expats, you might not be getting the same quality of advice. So yeah. uh, that's a great point. All right, good point. Well, great. Jeremy, thank you so much. Before we say goodbye, could you tell us what is the best way to reach you if we need your services? Gladly. Uh, our company homepage is air dash inc.com uh, where we have a great introduction to all our services the ability to request a free consultation and all of our contact information um, i can also be uh, reached on linkedin uh, which happy to to provide a link um, on the the traveling nomads website once uh, once that's up wonderful thank you so much jeremy this was really great you brought so many important knowledge here thanks a lot oh, my pleasure thanks for having me nomad nation don't miss any of the great inspiration, tips, and insights that will prepare just for you. Go to tandemnomads.com and sign up for the newsletter.